0: love us so much, you don't give us second chances or third chances, you give us every chance and your grace covers us in this place and if you find yourself here today feeling condemnation, that is not of Jesus, there's no condemnation in Christ, so we brush that off and we ask for the Holy Spirit to speak clearly to our hearts this morning because we want to hear from him, amen, you may be seated. Thank you, band. You know, here we are in 2020, and and the themes we have chosen as our church is we want to be a church that makes bold decisions, a church that puts down deeper roots, And, and so many good things going on right now. I hear from growth groups, that are meeting and thriving, and from leaders who are saying that their group is coming closer and closer together And as we share our lives and get an authentic community. We have um, a financial stewardship seminar that's going on right now as um, people are out there uh, learning to be better stewards. And we're going to have more things coming up. We have a foundations study. If you've ever wondered, like, what is the Bible? And how do I find Jesus in the Bible? Even in the Old Testament, we have a a class called Foundations that's going to be led by Lauren Piper that'll start in March, and that's a great place for you to come and and get some of those basics down. And as you know, I've I've been dedicated to being transparent about the finances. And one thing you've probably heard if you've been with us for a while is about the debt that we have from this building. And if you're new here today, this is nothing shocking. We've talked about this, but but we had, through 2020, we had the $700,000 in debt. And God has been so good and so generous. And um, in this last month, we have paid it down. It's now at 450000 Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's over two years of payment in, in one month. And it's just God continuing, continuing to show us his favor. And, and we are excited what um, we're going to do um, once that thing is out of the way. We have some exciting projects coming up in May that will be catalytic in this regard. And, and as your pastor, I'm just so grateful um, for a church that has gratitude for God and all he's done and gives generously. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for those of us who, who've stepped into that and doing what the Bible says, giving with a cheerful heart, not a begrudging or a religious heart. And Today we're talking about spiritual appetite, about being hungry for God. And it fits nicely because Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We're going to have a midweek service here at the church. And we're going to be talking about Lent. And at Lent you choose to willfully abstain from something or fast from something. And we've discussed putting down deeper roots. I would say that coming on something like Wednesday is an opportunity to put down deeper roots. And, and doing something like a fast is a bold decision. I would encourage you to step into. And, and there's different kinds of fasts. Fun, some people just fast from certain kinds of food. It's like sugar or Starbucks or pop or alcohol, whatever it would be. My dad bust into my office yesterday and declared with like a, very self-righteously that he's going to be fasting from Brussels sprouts I said, you've been doing that since 1985. I don't, it doesn't really count. It doesn't really matter. Other people are fasting from activities, such as eating after dinner or television or eating out or buying things they don't need. My, my wife said she's considering a fast from all social media and from between um, Ash Wednesday and Passover. And then there's some people who do fast from food. Everything from solid food for those 40 days or just just breakfast or just lunch or breakfast and lunch. And then others who choose one or two days a week to fast. Whatever it would be, we're going to discuss more of those things on Wednesday. But I would encourage you, as we look at putting down deeper roots and making bold decisions, something like a fast is one of those things. If you've never done it, it's a spiritual discipline in the Bible and it's something that God invites us to do. We're going to learn more about that on Wednesday. I'm excited about those things. And fittingly, today we're discussing spiritual appetite. How hungry are you for God? How how thirsty are we for heaven? And this is a strange idea for many of us. Because appetite is a word that we associate with our physical bodies and foods and vices. And the word appetite means a natural desire to satisfy one's body. But we can take this as a spiritual appetite as well. Spiritual, supernatural desire to satisfy your heart, your soul, and your mind. You know, an appetite... It's a desire, it's a craving, it's, it's a want for, for something outside of my humanity to come and satisfy me. And that's true naturally or spiritually, hoping that something outside of my humanity would, would fulfill, satisfy my soul. So when it comes to our spiritual appetite, we're discussing about our heart being hungry and our soul being thirsty for God's presence, for God's ways. And you may have had some of these moments where you have felt your appetite, your desire for God awakened. You know, it could have been in a room like this. It could have been in this very place where you've, you've felt God quicken your heart and you've said, I want more. I'm feeling that. It could have been at a conference one time or maybe a youth camp decades ago. It could, it could be anywhere, a worship set or maybe a mission trip or maybe a normal everyday moment. But you just felt that appetite, that desire for God increased, awakened. Now, if you haven't had this feeling, it's, don't worry because my hope is by the end of the sermon, you will know what it means to be hungry for God, that you'll leave knowing some ways to awaken your hunger for God and for heaven. I want to start with a very important question that if we can't answer here at the beginning, hopefully by the end we'll have, begin forming some answers. They're vital because when it comes to deeper roots, these are the kind of questions we want to ask. Question one, what awakens my appetite to God? What awakens, what arouses my appetite for God? That's important to know. Let's look at um, Psalm 63.1. This is a glimpse of a person. This is David. Listen to how his soul's appetite is awakened. It says, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for you. This is David just writing in his journal, just his soul's cry, how hungry he is. And then in Psalm 143, verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you. His spiritual appetite is awakened, oftentimes in worship. And it, if you don't come from a background where people, if you come from a background where people don't raise their hands, you might think it's kind of weird, that guy, that guy or that girl's up there just raising their hand, making a show of things. Honestly, if I raise my hands in worship, it has more to do with this verse. That I just can't get enough, and I worship you, and I stretch out my hands, and my soul long for you. Whatever your reason, oftentimes we, we need our appetite to be awakened to God. And sometimes that happens in worship, sometimes in the sermon, But it's important to know what increases that appetite. Maybe for you it's a a new book about God or a fresh revelation from the Bible. For me, oftentimes, it's it's a God discussion with friends or in my growth group as I talk about my life and their life and what God would have for us. And I leave those discussions just with a deeper desire to pursue God. Whatever it is that increases your spiritual appetite, A, it's important to know, and B, it's important to pursue. Question two is also just as important. What dulls my appetite for God? What is it in this world or about my lifestyle that dulls or decreases my appetite for God's presence and God's ways? You know, for those of us who would say we on- honestly, we just honestly don't experience much hunger, much appetite for God, this question of what dulls my appetite could actually be a- help diagnose why there's no soul hunger being awakened. A couple times a year, I, I go to a, a remote cabin with some friends of mine, and we always bring a lot of snacks. Everybody just brings snacks, and we all come together and put them on a table. And, and so we, we have lots of snacks, but we always dine like kings at night as we cook these, like, amazing things. And, and one of these nights, it was going to be elk tenderloin night. Now, if you haven't experienced elk tenderloin correct, cooked correctly, then you don't know what spiritual appetites and hunger is because it's a, it's, a, it's a divine thing. But we were going to have it marinated flawlessly, slow-cooked, and seared to perfection. And Now, this day, I had not eaten much most of the day, most of the afternoon, and my appetite was naturally coming awake. And so I, it was going to be a bit longer until the tenderloin. And I was like, I'm going to go have some snacks. And so I, I wandered over to the snack table, and there was just a pile and they had these things called zebra cakes, which is just a Twinkie and fancy clothes. Solid really is. There was more varieties of chips there than there are at a gas station. And, and if that wasn't enough, there was a crock pot full of bubbling Velveeta queso dip. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know the dip, it's like that yellow, it's that liquefied yellow number nine, Velveeta quote cheese, that could survive a, a nuclear strike, like it's not going anywhere, and so I was hungry, and I'm going through all these bags, I open every single bag, and I'm just having some taste, and I'm, I'm eating things with no expiration date, and it's just, it's no wonder I awakened in a, out of a coma hours later, it must have been induced by the preserving agents, and I wake up, and I just feel terrible, I feel Terrible. Have you ever had elk tenderloin when cooked to perfection? Have you? Oh, well, there's nothing like it. It's a treat, it's not common. But there was one huge problem that day. I had zero appetite at that point. In fact, I was so filled by chemicals and snacks that not only was my appetite gone, I didn't feel good. Like, I had the opposite going on. Now, we've all experienced sometimes like this. We've all had something that spoiled our appetite for what we wish we would have eaten later. But this isn't just an occurrence in our bodies. This isn't just a natural occurrence. This occurs supernaturally as well. This is a supernatural principle. And, And one reason for us, for many of us, that our appetite for God might be non-existent. Because our minds and our hearts and our souls are gorging on things in life that aren't good for us. And let me put it much simpler. We are full of the things of the world, leaving no room for the things of God. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 27.7, and it highlights this point. A person who is full loathes honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. And this verse tells us about two kinds of people. A full person who's satisfied they filled themselves to the point where even honey, even honey is refused and loathed. Now, in Solomon's day, honey was a treat. It was rare. It was unique. There wasn't any candy. There was no zots or razzles or any of that stuff. No, no, it was, it was honey. It was the sweetest thing they could have had, a treat. But to a person who has stuffed themselves, even a treat like honey is loathed. I found myself full of zebra cakes and chips and liquid rubber cheese dip, and I loathed the elk tenderloin. I I knew exactly what Solomon's talking about here. He goes on to talk about another type of person, one who is hungry. The hungry person isn't satisfied. Their appetite is fully awakened. It's so awake that even the bitter things taste sweet. So let's look at this through a spiritual lens. A person who is full loathes honey. A person this means a person who is full of what the world has to offer loathes even the sweetest truths of God. You know maybe you know a person like this or maybe you've been a person that even those sweetest truths of God like his forgiveness or his amazing grace or his unconditional love aren't appealing. There's zero appetite for God's goodness and God's ways. It's not because his love and his grace isn't sweet. It's because we or somebody has already stuffed themselves so much with the world that they loathe those things. And many people walk through life like this, just so full of entertainment and distraction, so full of work stress, so full of gossip or lust or anger or whatever it would be, that the thought of spiritual things, the thought of godly things, I'm not hungry for that. On the other side of the verse, we find someone who is hungry for God. It says, To the hungry, even bitter food tastes sweet. You see, they long for God's truth in His presence, so much that even the bitter things are sweet. Now, the bitter things, these are the hard truths. These are the convicting looks in the mirror, the spiritual mirror where you see where you're out of alignment. Those hard truths, when we see them, if we're hungry for God, they're accepted as sweet, as pleasant. You see, here it is, the person who is full of the world's offerings refuses even the sweetest truths of God. But to the person who is hungry for God, even the most hard to swallow truths are delighted in. John Piper put it this way in a very Piper fashion. If you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, God's presence, It is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. See, I believe that one of the number one reasons we are not more hungry for God is we have stuffed our souls, our minds and our hearts on the toxins of this world and our own sinful desires. And one of the best things we could do right now is just to be honest. It's just to get, he knows We know. Just get honest and admit it. I I have zero desire for your way. Or I have very little appetite for you, God. Very little. And then after that, say, God, help me. Forgive me. And he does. There's no condemnation. He forgives. And, And when we ask him, I want my appetite to awaken to you. So how do we awaken our appetite for God? Well, first we make knowing God our number one goal. We make it a priority when you make something a priority, you make plans. Like if you want to get to know somebody, you make plans. If you want to change the way you eat, you you make plans. No one ever accidentally ate Brussels sprouts. No, you got to sit down and consider your life before you eat something like that. Like you got to make plans, you know? Make plans to put God first in your heart, in your day. Make plans to meet with God. Matthew 6, 33 puts it this way. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Or as the New Century Version says, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants and your other needs, they'll be met as well. Seek God first. Seek God most. Make him a priority. Make make a plan. Make a, a plan to connect. Seek him first and seek what he wants. And then our other needs are met. And and there's a huge principle in this. You see, if we don't seek God first, if I don't seek God first, I let my sinful desires and, and the offers of the world lead me and drive me. I won't be hungry for God. And my heart and my soul and my faith will become anemic and weak. But if I seek God first... If I hunger for him and his ways, something interesting begins to happen. You see, my appetite for the toxins of the world begin to decrease. My appetite for sin is dulled. You see, there's a supernatural order that places God first. Seek f- God first, and your other needs will be met. Instead of trying to satisfy my life's desires with the cheap treats of the world that malnourish my soul, I get my deepest desires resourced from heaven. And in doing so, my desire for sinful things, our appetites for things like power and lust dwindle because our souls are satisfied on heavenly food. Seek God first. The second thing is to feed daily. I don't know if you know this, but eating a meal once a week isn't a healthy idea. You'll soon become malnourished. You'll soon become weak. And the same is true spiritually. That if we eat once a week, we become anemic. You see, we need to nourish ourselves on God's presence and God's word daily. And if we feed on God's presence and God's word, our appetite actually grows for those things. You see, did you know your appetites are influenced by what you're exposed to? This This is an important principle. Your appetites are influenced by what you're exposed to. Expose your mind to fantasy and your appetite will increase over there. Expose your heart and mind to God's word, and your appetite will increase. How many of you smelled bacon today when you got here? I told the staff to cook bacon out there just for you when you were in here. So I hope somebody, and here's the reason. I've never walked into church and just said, well, I'm here, I am hungry for bacon. But today I did. I walked in, I smelled, I was like, man, I could go for some bacon. And being the pastor, I went in the kitchen and I ate some my my appetite was awakened because i was exposed to it and i just wanted a real simple principle that like that 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 easy that what you're exposed to increases your appetite and some of us had our appetites increased by just a simple smell which you'll be able to take care of after service out there our heart and soul's appetite For God increases and expands as we expose ourselves to his way, his presence, and his word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow up in your salvation. The word crave here is the word epipatheo, and it means a deep longing, a heart's desire. So we align our heart, we awaken our appetite so that our heart's desire is God. We want to tune our spirit so that we have such a deep longing for God's presence and ways. And this is how our soul is nourished. This is how we mature and grow in our salvation, it says. And eventually you move from spiritual milk to spiritual supernatural meat, that tenderloin. But this takes some adjustment. This takes bold decisions. This doesn't happen on its own. You don't coast. And for many of us, our soul is fed for one hour, one day in this room. And perhaps for that hour during this time you feel your appetite awakened. You're exposed to something of the spirit as he speaks and, or during a song and 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 we have this desire arise. I I want to know God more and maybe we say I, I want to make some changes. I want to make some bold decisions. I want to put down deeper roots. I want to pursue God in a new way. And then the hour's over and we push back from the Sunday spiritual meal. And what happens? After the appetite spiritually is aroused in that one spiritual moment, our hearts and lives, unfortunately, have, been a, have adjusted. And they've gotten used to feeding in a different way. And so by Sunday night, our hearts and our minds and our bodies have already begun to feed on and feast on a buffet of worry, fantasy and anger, work and stress, recreation and, and plans and, and vacation fantasies. We feed ourselves a steady diet of worldly worry and pleasure. And before we know it, the spiritual appetite that was momentarily awakened is drowned out by our fleshly appetites that scream at us. Spiritually, whatever you feed on most increases your appetite for that very thing. Feed on God's word and God's ways, Appetite increases. Feed on sin and the world's ways, appetite increases. And each Sunday is a huge lesson in this. We have some amazing moments in this room, but it's one meal. And it's no match for the buffet that we gorge on the other six and a half days. This is why things like growth groups are so important. It's a way to get together and gather and have another one of these interactions, these meals, but also your time alone with God your personal time. See a whisper of awakening that we experience on Sunday is easily shouted down and drowned out by the loud demands of our world's appetites. The call of God whispers. But the offer, offer of the world screams. The appetites of God are a whisper. The appetites of the world is a shout. And this is an important principle. It's learning to foster and grow an appetite for that whisper of God. In a world of noise and chaos, when you can't watch TV without people who've been paid a lot of money try to hook your mind and your appetites. A whole world designed to do that. How do we hear God's whisper? In a world designed to arouse every appetite contrary to God. So humor me for a minute. Humor me. I'm going to turn down my micro- I'm going to turn off my microphone and see if you can still hear me, okay? You have heard me. You've heard me speak. You've heard me whisper. But let's try it one more time. I'm going to turn off my mic and whisper. And I want to see if you can I want I want to see if you hear what I'm saying. I want you to raise your hand and there'll be a big prize, okay? Ready? We always turn it up. We always turn it up. Give it the on the Did you get it? Yeah. Yeah, right. Stick with me. How would you have heard my words? What would you have had to do to hear my whisper? You see, you would have had to have break from your normal lifestyle pattern. You would have had to make an adjustment. You would have had, in this room, make a bold decision. You would have had to stand up and walk up here and put your ear right in front of my mouth and listen. You see, if we have the gumption to pursue God's presence, if I have a heart that wants to be nourished by His voice and by heaven, then I have to break and adjust from my normal operating. And amidst the noise... Put my ear close to his whisper. The prophet of Elijah in the Old Testament, we find him in 1 Kings 19. He is anxious. He is tired. He is in need. He's consumed by chaos. He's worried about circumstances. They're pursuing him, people trying to, to kill him. Things around his life are streaming at him, and he chokes down this buffet of fear and ingests it within him. And in, after he does that, he's so full of anxiety, the prophet Elijah prays, God, take my life. Just, just take me. He's just full of despair as he eats this meal of the world. He sleeps, he wakes up, and in his despair, he decides to go to one place. He decides to go to the mountain of God. Amidst all the chaos, he goes to a, a quiet place, sets aside some quiet time, With everything falling apart around Elijah, he goes to the one place he knows he has to find help, the presence of God. He makes it to the the mountain of God, climbs up and goes in a cave and waits for God. And God in his kindness comes to meet with his beloved son. So we pick up. In First Kings 19, with Elijah in the cave waiting for God's presence, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now we would have gone out. We would have gone out for sure. A wind like that—only ah, it's got to be God. Elijah didn't. He knew that the culture will always be blowing hot air. He knew that he knew it wasn't of God. He knew that that chaos wasn't the void of God, voice of God. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. You see, the earth beneath Elijah shakes. His circumstances are uncertain, out of control. But he knows when the world breaks down around us, that's not the voice of God. He stays in the cave. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, surely God's in the fire, but Elijah knew that the voice of God was not the raging anger of our culture, and it didn't tempt him out. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave in the presence of Almighty. Now, a whisper. But there's more going on here than meets the eyes. You see, if we go into the ancient Hebrew language here, everything is not as it seems. The Bible says gentle whisper, or perhaps your version says a still small voice. The ancient Hebrew word here is mama, and mama has a very unique meaning. It means silence. It means silent. So let me put this into context. Elijah is in great need for God. He's pursued God's presence. Distractions and chaos are screaming around him. The wind tears at his life, threatening to sweep things away. But God wasn't in the confusion of the wind. An earthquake hits his heart and his life and makes everything unstable and uncertain. But God wasn't in the chaos of the earthquake. The fire burns around him, consuming and scaring. But God wasn't in the heat of the fire. But then Elijah his desire, his appetite fixed on God, his heart and soul attuned to God's voice after the wind and the earthquake and the fire, he hears God's silent whisper to his heart. He hears the silent prompt of God that says, it's me. He heard the silent call and he pulls his cloak over his face and exits the cave to answer that silent call. You see, if we're going to grow in our appetite and awaken our appetite in a world that's feeding us toxins and temptation, we have to be a people who can hear the silent whispers and prompts despite a culture of chaos. We need to begin to pursue and make space in our soul and our life to know and hear the voice of God. And here's the rub. This is, this is it. Our appetite for the world and entertainment drowns that out. It's hard to hear the still small voice over every podcast, TV show, song, political pundit. And I'm guilty of this. Just feasting on distraction. Feasting on entertainment. Just binging. With little appetite for God left over. And little room in my life to hear the silent whisper amidst all the noise. You see, what I don't need is another political talking head to arouse my anger and my opinionated appetites. Politically, what I need most is time with my king. That's my politics. You see, what I don't need is more scrolling through the gram or social media. What I need is more scrolling through my Bible app. What I don't need is another catchy song stuck in my head. What I need is another verse planted in my heart. What I don't need is a 10th episode to binge on. What I need is just one truth of God to build on. But we get so distracted. We can't hear the whisper. What my soul needs most is to turn off the constant flow of entertainment and distraction so that I can hear God's prompts, God's voice through his word into my heart. But it's hard, isn't it? Because we have a voracious appetite for those things. We have a voracious appetite for politics and social media and music and TV and radio. It's well established. Our diet is well established. And in the end, there's nothing wrong with those things. We just need to be honest that they could be filling our heart and soul, leaving zero appetite for God left over. Here's why it's important. What you feed your heart, your soul, and your mind will transform you. Whatever you consistently consume will someday consume you. Whatever you consistently consume will someday consume you. So what are you watching? What are you listening to? What is your mind imagining in your free time? What are we meditating on? You see, I can't feast on anger and hope to be more patient with my kids. I can't gorge on anxiety and and just hope to have peace of mind. My emotions, my behaviors will follow the appetites I'm feeding on. And today, I just want you to know every Wednesday at noon, we pray for the service. We pray for you specifically. We're praying right now that your appetite for God's presence would be increased. That you would feel that quickening, that awakening of the Spirit saying, God that you would feel that desire to pursue God in a new way. For communion today, I want to do something different for communion, okay? For communion, I want you to all, whoever would want to, it's an, it's an open table, there's no class to take. We do this in remembrance of, of Jesus and his sacrifice. But if you're going to be a part of communion, I want you to come and get it quickly, and you don't have to wait till everybody's, you don't have to wait, just, just come get it, and then quickly you'll go back to your seat and don't take it yet. We're going to take it together. So, band's going to play a little bit. Let us stand and come get communion. You see, as we're, as we're getting that, our prayer has been that our appetite for God would increase. But, Orchard, for many of us, it's going to take some bold decisions. Because you have an appetite. You have an appetite for God. It could just be on a steady diet of Velveeta. what the world offers and so for some of us it's going to be a bold decision to when we leave here to make God a priority to to make space to make room to make plans to hear his voice and so as we sit here with communion this is the the symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection his broken body his blood shed Jesus had such an appetite for God and God's ways that he would do anything. He did everything. He died so that we could have forgiveness. We could have a pathway to the Father, the the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, before we take communion, I just want to pray for us. So pray with me. May your heart engage in what I'm praying. Father, please increase our appetite for you. We ask your forgiveness for what we've been feeding our heart and soul. And you love us and we thank you for your forgiveness. We are a people who desire to put you first and just say, I want to put you first. I want to seek you first. So Father, we want to make some bold decisions that today and tomorrow, maybe we will turn some things down to listen to your whisper. And Father, we pray in your kindness, you would speak to us. So we thank you for your body that was broken and the blood that was shed. We thank you for your sacrifice. And may this communion, may this meal increase our appetite. May it increase my appetite for God. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. Take and eat. We thank you for your blood that was shed, for the forgiveness of sins. As we go into this song, I want to ask you to step into that hunger that David had. We said, I stretch my hands out, I long, I want more of you. I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but raise your heart. You don't have to raise your voice, raise your heart. That's what matters in worship. Do whatever you want to do to respond. But during this song, may we, may we taste and see the goodness of God. And why do we sing? We don't sing because the song's good, we sing because he's good. We don't sing because we have a great band. We sing because we have a great God. So let's worship.